dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Soil Health U is officially in the books. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) That is a very good feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And we'd like to thank everyone who came out and supported our event. You know, Kayleen, you are so right. These things don't happen by chance. Uh, They start with an idea and then they grow. And you hope that somebody supports that idea by showing up and and supporting it. Um, You know, from the companies that supported us with the trade show and their sponsorships to the attendees who spent their time and and money to come out to the show. um, We just want to thank you all from our hearts because this does not happen overnight. No. So... What was the message that you took away? What was one of the the speakers, who was one of the speakers that kind of spoke to you this this year? I think that one of the things I took away, among others, is soil health is more than just the soil. There's a lot involved in it. It's a lot about changing your mindset as far as, you know, agriculture goes and looking at it through a different set of eyes. Mm-hmm. Um that being said, I really like Brian Alexander from Barber County, from the Alexander Rancher down there. And probably because I can relate to him the most mm-hmm. with the grazing and the fire situation and all that sort of stuff that they do down there. You know, Brian's one of my favorites. Um, just because the first time I ever met Brian, he was operating a tree mulcher. <laughs> and that thing made a 30-foot cedar tree skeleton into mulch in one minute nine seconds and i have it on tape and it is a beautiful sight yes if you've ever fought cedar trees like we have anytime you can get rid of a cedar tree in a sort of (laughs) destructive manner it makes your heart happy it really does you you can take out a lot of frustrations on a cedar tree yes (laughs) well hopefully um later on this month we're gonna have brian on the podcast uh talking about what he talked about at soil health U and expanding on on some of those ideas he presented. You know, Kayleen, for me, it was Adam Chappell from Arkansas. Um, You know, I've covered cotton since I started the journal, and I know a little bit about cotton, not quite as much as I probably should, but just (laughs) enough to be dangerous. And Adam uses cover crops to grow his cotton, and that's against all conventional wisdom. In Arkansas, he has a massive problem with with, cotton, herbicide-resistant pigweed, mm-hmm. and all sorts of nasty stuff. And the typical response to that is either hire a hoe crew or till that ground until it is clean and bare. But then they still have a problem. They're still bringing up the weed seeds. They're still they're, they're pretty much creating an ideal environment for weed seeds to not be um, have any competition, right? Yeah, when you get 80 inches of rain a year... <laughs> 
you're going to have weeds. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Adam figured out that he can plant a, a grass cover crop. Uh, I, I believe it's it's a fair, I believe it's a rye crop that he plants in, but then um, when it gets so tall, he will um, push it down and plant the cotton directly into that cover crop itself. Yeah. He'll get it down into the soil, uh, and it'll emerge, and that cotton won't have any sort of weeds that are pressuring it, and this is what's best. This is the tremendous thing. Not only is it a soil health story. And not only did he reduce his input costs, but he doubled his profits per pound of cotton in one year, Kayleen, and pretty much saved the family farm. That's pretty impressive. I just, you know, when we talk about soil health, there are so many aspects of it, and it's easy to get caught up in the the high thinking about it, you know, Mm -hmm. and the idealism and, and all of that, and that's great, you know, but down to earth nitty gritty it's gotta pay at the end of the day you gotta figure out a way to make it work for you and however it works for you we are proud of you for for doing it you know yeah i i I don't want anybody to walk away and feeling you know gosh i'm not doing all of this I'm, i'm i'm failing no no farmer fails if you try and and i think that's the message that we got from soil health you is if you're trying you're not failing yeah, I I have to agree. Well, yeah, we've got a <laughs> it's a fun fun time around here cuz not <laughs> only did we have soil health you, but then we've got a few things coming up on the on the list, don't we, Kayleen? Yeah, we got a week to get back into the schedule and then we're both gone again for NCBA in San Antonio <laughs> the first week of February. You know, um there are probably going to be a lot of stories to come out of NCBA. <laughs> uh seems like beef is on the minds of a lot of folks and near beef as I like to call it, or fake beef, or whatever you want to call the plant-based who who who'sy what's it's. Um, didn't you tell me that the Impossible Burger at Burger King is now on a reduced price? That's what I heard. <laughs> well, I'm shocked. This is my shocked face. <laughs> I have still yet to try it. I think I can find something better to spend nine bucks on, or whatever it costs. <laughs> I'm sure it costs eight dollars and fifty cents now. Probably. <laughs> Well, hey, you know how I love my coffee. It's one of the few things that I can have low points, and it's a it's a special treat for myself. And, you know, I made sure that in my diet I have room for coffee every day, right? Yeah. And you know how I figured out how to have a low points coffee at Starbucks. And then <laughs> Starbucks goes and they decide that they are going to promote upselling con- customers plant-based creamers over dairy creamers and used in their in their uh, high-priced coffees they're going to charge these customers an extra 80 cents to go for a plant-based alternative now here's the thing we know that there's going to be a faction of people that say boycott starbucks but you know what that doesn't really help us out a lot that does not solve the problem and I think there needs to be some creative thinking, and I, I appreciate that there's a couple of people online that are calling for, don't boycott Starbucks, go to Starbucks and order full milk. Yeah. And make your, you know, vote, vote with your dollars and make it known, I'm ordering full milk because it's a healthier alternative for me. It's my choice, and it's, uh, you know, a lot of people say that was just a really bad look on, on Starbucks's face because we have... A lot of dairies that are going under this year. 
We've got big dairy companies that are filing for, for bankruptcy, Kayleen. And Starbucks has always been one of those companies that, you know, we're socially responsible and this, that, and the other. Well, you know what? Everything has a cost. Everything. Yes, you know, it does. You know, we, we learned that at Soil Health You. We breathe in, we breathe out. <laughs> we have an, an effect on the planet no matter what we do. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I think this one hit me hardest because I, I'm not giving up my coffee. And I use, I use creamer. You know, I, I use a The real cream. stuff. <laughs> I use the real stuff in moderation. Yeah. And that's how I reduce my points for well, Weight Watchers. Pretty soon people aren't going to have anything to boycott because they've boycotted everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to NCBA and the talk um, on the trade show floor about some of the things that are coming out. Yeah, it, I think NCBA is going to be fun. Right after that, we have... <laughs> Uh, alfalfa you uh and then right after that we have uh commodity classic it's it's a month of february stuff but uh alfalfa you by the way folks uh we're going to be in saint george utah february 11th uh gary nebraska february 18th and february 20th in dodge city don't forget registration is free and online at alfalfa sounds like our schedules are going to be packed with good speakers for those sites i can't wait Yep, yep. If you have a comment or a thought, drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know. Or call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. And do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Well, in this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the January 20th print edition. Um, I'll have a chat with Adam Chapel from Soil Health U 2020. And Kayleen will, of course, wrap it up with the markets. So just because nothing's growing outside doesn't mean the work stops on the farm. Winter just means it's time for continuing your education. Well, we want to thank everybody for coming out to Soil Health U and all our U events. And thank you for riding with us here on HPJ Talk. Inside the January 20th print edition of High Plains Journal, field editor Dave Murray asked the question, are soybeans going moneyball? He looks at the trend from some companies to develop highly specific, custom-engineered, and identity-preserved soybeans. It's basically a race to use data to improve profitability on the farm. By focusing on value-added output traits for certain markets over just yields, farmers could find targeted markets for the varieties they choose to grow. Whether those varieties have a certain level of protein, or a certain quality of protein, or maybe even a particular amino acid that's ideal for chicken or pig feed, or even targeting the emerging high oleic oil market with specific varieties. That focus can possibly put dollars in a farmer's pocket over just raising commodity soybeans. And then Kayleen, you wrote about the corn-fed beef seminar put on by Kansas Corn and the Kansas Beef Council a couple of weeks back. Yeah, they had a couple speakers from uh, some different groups. They had Kara Harbstreet with Street Smart Nutrition and Hannah Thompson-Weeman of the Animal Ag Alliance. 
And they spoke about how you can engage and convince consumers and not battle them. And they brought a lot of good ideas to the table and talked about bridging the gap and understanding the challenges and not making assumptions when it comes to consumers. Man, I really wish I would have been there because I think that would have been a great conversation to listen in on. Yeah, and they they put us to work. They sent us in breakout groups and we had to come up with a plan for a certain scenario. And as much as I dislike (laughs) those sort of situations, it was good to hear what other people had to say. Good. Well, on our opinions and editorials page, field editor Lacey Newland writes about saving the barns. And Seymour clearly writes about Senator Cory Booker, Democrat of New Jersey, dropping out of the Democratic race for president and booking it back to the Senate. And Usha Reddy, a Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate in Kansas here in 2020, writes to the editor that the proposed rule on frequency and notice of continuing disability reviews proposed from the Trump administration could turn off funds to hundreds of thousands of people receiving disability by shifting them into a new category. This category would force them to prove they are disabled every two years, she writes. Elsewhere, we have coverage of the 2020 Soybean Expo from contributor Laura Hankey and the January WASDE report from Jenny. And David Murray talks with the U.S. Corps of Engineers about the potential for more Missouri River flooding this spring. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. Or you can always call us at 1-800-452-7171. Well, welcome back. We are at Soil Health U 2020, and we have with us today Adam Chapel from Cotton Plant Arkansas, right? And that's kind of appropriate because you came to speak at Soil Health U about using cover crops and soil health um, tools growing cotton. Now, how did this start? Um, you guys have quite an origination story, you and your brother. Yeah, so we, um, we got into cover crops, no-till and all that um, because we were broke. I mean, we... Uh, Trying to trying to think of an analogy, I, you know, you uh, get your back against the wall and you got one way out. Just fight your way out. That's where we were. We were had our back against the wall. We had X amount of dollars to spend on a crop, and doing it the way we'd been doing it wasn't ever going to work because it was too expensive. So we had to figure out another way to farm, and we had to do it fast. So that led us to soil health and cover crops. Uh, we did it because we were getting beat up by one weed, um, Palmer amaranth. Mm-hmm. Y'all have that here, I'm sure. It's probably getting worse. Uh, we were just spending ourselves to death with tillage and, and chemicals and all these things that were hit and miss effective, and we were spending more than we could make back. And so we had to make a change, and we started investigating uh, organic growers uh, and found one guy that was growing organic pumpkins in a cereal rye cover crop so no herbicides just a cover crop for weed control 
Well now explain cover crop for weed control and how that differs from how normal people would plant pumpkins. Okay, well, yeah, so most people that plant pumpkins that I know, you know, there's some buddies of mine north of me that plant some. They use black plastic, stuff like that. Um, this guy had a six-foot-tall grass that he rolled down with a crimper and then just drilled or planted with a planter pumpkins in that. So he didn't have any plastic cost. Um, of course, he couldn't use herbicides. He didn't have uh, crews of workers out there hand weeding like my buddies have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just, I mean, this guy was making money, mm -hmm. you know, because he wasn't spending money. And I didn't know what kind of weeds they had in Pennsylvania, but they had to have some terrible weeds. Uh, and he didn't have them. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, maybe this is a viable option for us. I didn't even know what cereal rye was. So I had to go figure out what that was. And we planted 300 acres of it. And that's all we could afford to plant. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I said, we were broke. And that's, I don't know, is there a worse word than broke? Because <laughs> I don't feel like that's bad enough to explain it. But There is farmer broke. Well, that we were farmer broke. Uh, but so we could afford 300 acres worth of cereal rye. And the very first year, we saw the effects it had on pigweed. It is devastating to pigweed. Because it blocks out it, the, it, the sun and all of the yeah, nutrients. Yeah, it just outcompetes it. It just outcompetes it. It doesn't give it an opportunity to get its head above water. And it was amazing the difference we saw. So every year from then on, we started increasing the, the amount of acres we planted. But it wasn't until 2012, that bad drought year, everybody remembers 2012, we let our covers get really big that year. Because in 2012, we had a really wet spring. It was weird. And then the, the spigot shut off, and it got hot and dry. Mm -hmm. So I was dealing with giant cover crops on about half of our acres. That's how much we could afford to plant that year. And the only crops we made that were good were what were undercover. Mm -hmm. And then everything else that we were still doing the old way, you know, stale seed bed or conventional till, even under irrigation, just burn up. You know, it was below average yields and after that there was no looking back we just because that was such an eye-opener uh that year well and and pigweed in your area that is a massive massive input cost to fight it mm. because one pigweed can produce what five million seeds Something in her like lifetime yeah. and then those five million seeds produce more five million seeds and it just it, it outperforms because it sucks up all the nutrients and all the it it um it competes with your crops that you're trying to grow to yeah to pay the bills and it grows so fast i mean if it comes up the same time as soybeans and you can't stop it well you, you're not gonna have soybeans anymore you know or cotton or whatever it just grows so aggressively and um when we would have a bare spot or we'd till it would be a carpet. I mean, there would be cotyledon pigweeds touching each other. That's how thick they were because of so many seeds. They're so prolific. So, you know, it, it was a hopeless battle until we found cover crops. I mean, it just really was. So that first year you had your 300 acres. So then the second year, were you able to expand some more? And what did the, what did the neighbors, what did your dad say? Well, so he really liked the, uh, he, he, he didn't have a problem with it until that year that it got really big. And then he kind of panicked because uh, we had 3,000 acres of six-foot-tall cereal rye. We've never, 
we had never dealt with plants that big, trying to plant into them, and he just kind of panicked, and I was kind of panicked. I mean, I didn't know, you know, we'd never seen anything like that, but there wasn't any going back. He was wanting to burn it off and all this stuff, and I said, no, we're here. We're going to we're gonna figure this out, and we rolled some down. We used our, our air seeders were easy. We just planted right through. That was cakewalk with our precision planters. We had to roll it down and do some things, but. Uh, well, and then you brought cattle into the mix too. Yeah, that, that actually happened last year. Okay. Uh, so 18, seven, let's see. Yeah, 18, 19 winter was our first year with cattle. Uh, now we've doubled our cattle herd, but you know, that went from 35 to 70. So it's not like we're huge cattle. You're not guys. ready for the cowboy hat yet? No, I don't think I'll ever have a cowboy hat. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we uh, we just keep them from late September, 1st October. That's when they start coming in. And late March, 1st of April, they're gone. I, I don't care what the market value is. They've served their purpose. They're out of here. And then it's time to plant row crops again. So what do the cattle do to that ground, to your soil health? Do they... Do they add um, nutri- nutrition? Do they add some some tilth a little bit? It's a, it's amazing what we've seen just in two years. Uh, you know, we've uh, the step change we saw in our soils when we added cover crops and no-till. You know, going from a glassed over sandy loam, just you know what I thought was okay soil, but now I know is just garbage. The step change we saw when we incorporated no-till and cover crops. You know, now we've got aggregate aggregated dark looking just really nice looking soil on our longest term fields we have seen that same step change behind cows it's amazing we've seen like dung beetles i have never seen a dung beetle on our farm and i'm an entomologist so that blew my mind i was like what is that doing here cattle egrets you know i'd seen those before but when I was a little kid, you know, there's a couple old timers had cows around, but how'd they find my cows? You know, how'd those dung beetles find my cows? And it's just, you know, things like that. You pull a cow pipe back and there's earthworms all underneath it. I mean, it's just amazing. So I can't build that herd fast enough. I want to expand that thing. But again, I'm, I'm a farmer. I'm not rich. Well, so now um, some of the guys that listen to this are into cotton and they grow GM cotton and that sort of thing. And you, you raise GM cotton too, but you also use um, some varieties out of the University of Arkansas yep. and some non-traditional or conventional varieties that don't have some GM in it. Yep. Um, how does that work with your marketing and how do you make that work for the, the, the total sustainability of the farm? Okay, so the non-GMO cotton was purely a financial decision. I got tired of paying $600 for a bag of cotton seed. Uh, I could buy a non-GMO for 125 and I'd seen uh, data, yield data from those varieties. They're solid varieties. So I, I thought, well, if I can control the weeds, then I can make this work. Well, controlling the weeds isn't that hard when you got a four inch mat of cover crop. So the first year we did uh, uh, non-GMO cotton, we had a farm average of 1,250 pounds, and that was 100 pounds better than the state average that year. And we had a field go over three bale, which, you know, is good for us. Uh, and, uh, you know, I got some buddies in West Texas. If they make less than three bale, they're crying, but that doesn't happen where I'm at often. So, but the difference was that 1,250 pound average cotton was the most profitable cotton we have ever made 
just because of the reduction in inputs. So we did that for a few years, and then as the grazing thing started coming on, I started hearing about wide row corn. And, you know, and I remember skip row cotton from when I was a kid when Roundup Ready cotton first came out. People do two two rows, skip a row, two rows, skip a row, whatever. And uh, I met an Australian uh, named Martin Hockey, and uh, he said, uh, you planting too much seed and, and you planting them too close together. And he had this crazy accent, and we're good buddies now. But when I first heard that, I just thought, man, I don't know, but he's got a point. I mean, we're, let's, let's try it. Let's do it. So we, we cut our seeding rate in half and uh, planted every other row. And uh, the cotton turned out great. I mean, it, it, you know, we... I saw that picture. Yeah, Holy it, buckets. Yeah. That was just like a... That's the, all you saw were bulls. Yeah, it looked great. And uh, so the whole idea behind the 76-inch, and he's prodding me along with this cattle thing too because I really like that guy. He's got some good <laughs> ideas. But is this year on our 76-inch, we're going to intercede with a grazing mix. So as soon as the picker comes through, our cover crop's going to be there, so we're not going to have to be running the planter through. We're just going to bring cows in strip graze and then we'll be ready for soybeans or corn or whatever the rotation calls for the next year and we'll have you know cover crop and the cattle you know so that's uh we're going to stick with the 76 inch uh we're not going to go back to 38 at all and if i can ever figure out and this is what he wants me to do next but i'm i'm still a little uh a little nervous on how to do it but and he's right though if we could do non-gmo with that low seed cost on 76 inch, now you're talking about real money. That's real money. That is real money. So uh, we're going to try one field of that this year and uh, see if we can make it work. And if we can, then we'll go all in on that. So so you work with uh, landowners. You, you lease a lot. You, you lease it, much of your, yeah. about every, okay. So working on a soil, soil health plan with, with a landowner partner there, you know, they, they really are your partners, essentially, oh, yeah. in, in, in working on it. How do you make that conversation, and how do you say to them, you know what, I kind of deserve a bonus on my end because I'm improving your ground. I mean, how is there a way that you have that conversation and a way that you come out good on everybody's parts? Yeah, well, I don't ask for any bonuses to start with, so that that's okay. But, no, they that was kind of touch and go early on because – you know, all we've ever heard was removal rates and you got to apply fertilizer every single year and blah, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. Well, we're finding out that's not the case. But to convince somebody who's not at the farm of that, you know, I had to explain what I was doing, which was fine. You know, it's their ground. They're letting me be there. I explained what we were doing, how it was going to improve the resource for future generations and how we were reducing these synthetic inputs that are ending up in the Gulf of Mexico and all these places. And and I'm all crop share, and they share in these inputs, so it was going to be savings to them as well. So, uh, you know, after I explained it to them, uh, a lot of them were fine with it right away. And, you know, we had a little bit of resistance from some, but that's just because they were a little skeptical. But after a year or two, they they, they they saw the results they can see, you can see it i mean i can take you in those fields and instead of seeing a crusted over lifeless mess you can smell it you can see it you can see earthworms i mean 
So all I got to do is show them. All I got to do is take them out there and say, this is what we're doing. Look how much better this is than what we had just five years ago or six years ago. And you're still hitting the yield targets. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, crop share, you know, that's a competitive market. Um, if if you're not if you're not bringing it to the table, you know, they're gonna find somebody who will, and that's understandable. And that's business. So now, are there people in your area, your neighbors, that have seen this in action and and think, you know what, I want to try it? Has the message grown to others? It has. We, me and a few other farmers uh, that are like-minded in the state of Arkansas started a group called the Arkansas Soil Health Alliance, and we've had several field days, several winter meetings, and the very first field day we had was at my place. It was March of 17. Uh, we had over 240 people there. So there's a lot of interest, and, you know, is it interest because folks just want to improve their soil, or is it interest because they're up against it like I was. I mean, it doesn't matter if it, either one is fine. I mean, just the fact that they're interested in trying things is uh, is good. So yeah, you know, every year we get more and more phone calls and more and more people at our meetings. So the interest is there. Um, and there's always gonna be holdouts, you know, people that are, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, and you know, maybe they own their ground and they got some cushion and, you know, it's, but whatever, I mean, yeah. Uh, if you're a tenant like me, you need every advantage you can get. And input cost is the only thing I can control. I mean, I, that's all I can control. That's the one thing I took for my ag econ classes is lowest cost producer wins. Well, I mean, that's you, you think about farming just the last the last four or five years. Look at the weather patterns. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're if, – if it was as easy as putting out 250 units of nitrogen to get 250 bushels of corn, everybody would make 250 bushels of corn. But it's not that simple. So the only thing you can control is how much money you spend. You can't control the weather. You can't control, you know, whatever else affects the, the yield outcome. So we quit chasing yield and started managing cost, and that's when things started going the right direction. So. Well, hey, um, any final thoughts for anybody that's kind of starting this journey um, and, and maybe they have their backs against the wall and they're looking at options? Any, anything that you'd like to say? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're if you're struggling and you've got to make a change, it's going to be a lot easier now to make that change than it was when I was doing it because there's abundant resources, meetings just like this one. Lots of farmers doing this and have been through all the screw-ups like I had to go through. I mean, there was zero resources in the South. I was watching Ray Archuleta and Dave Brandt and Gabe Brown YouTube videos. That's what I was learning from. And they were in Ohio and North Dakota. So I had to make that translate back to me, you know. So, but now I guarantee there's somebody in your area doing it that can help you and would be more than happy to help you because more than likely they didn't have any resources to start with. So, yeah, just ask questions and, and just get started. Don't don't wait. Well, thank you, Adam, for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for speaking at Soil Health U. Folks, if you want to see more information that came out of our Soil Health U, or if you have questions, um, head on over to SoilHealthU.net, and uh, we will. We hope to look forward to seeing you next year at Soil Health U, back here in Salina, Kansas again. Thanks, Adam, Adam, for coming out, and we hope to see you next year. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll definitely be back, for sure. <laughs> Thank you.
Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on January 14th. Corn was up at $3.74. Wheat was up at $4.49. Milo was up at $3.24. And soybeans were down at $8.27. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters at our website, hpj.com slash sign up. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for the Farm and Ranch Management Marketing and Finance issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes January 27th with a story from our editor, Dave Bergmeier. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcasts. You can also find us on places like iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. We're also on Instagram. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember... As Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends.